Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. I'd like to start with a little story, and I'm going to start with one here tonight. I hope I can get this out, get it right. I'm not picking on anybody because I'm, I'm, I'm in that capacity. Three elderly men were talking one night, and one of them looked at the other, other two, and he said, you know what? He said, I have cataracts so bad I can hardly see. I need an operation. The second one said, well, you know, every time I turn my neck, sometimes it catches, and I can't turn back, and I, I can't see where I'm going. And the third one said, well, you know, there's times I just, when I get up, I just get so dizzy I can't hardly walk. I have to hold on to something. And they sat there for a little while, and one of them said, isn't it great, though, we all can still drive? <laughs> I have seen some of that on the highway. <clears throat> I'm not going to be lengthy tonight, I promise you. I'll be like Henry VIII told his fifth wife, I won't hold you long. And, and, uh, but I want, I want to talk to you. I'm, I want to speak tonight on what are you working for? What are you working for? That's a pretty good question. I think we're going to try to answer that tonight. The book of Mark chapter 6 remains standing for the reading of the word and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. While he sent away the people and when he had sent them away he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land And he saw them toiling and rowing. He saw them working. For the wind was contrary unto them. And it was about the fourth watch of the night. He cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship. And the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. One of the toughest places to be in your life is to have a hard heart. You need to remain as tender as a child all the days of your life. Not be childish, but be childlike. God help us tonight to understand that we need God in our hearts and in our lives. It's an important thing. It's not what I'm preaching, but we need God in our hearts and our lives tonight. You may be seated. God bless. I love you very much. Thank you for standing for the honor of the word. Isn't it amazing how quickly a storm can wipe out a miracle in your life? Isn't it amazing how quickly you can start thinking on the downside of life instead of the upside of life when you go through a storm? Perhaps you just come out of a miracle. Jesus had just fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes and 12 basketfuls were left over, put the boys in the boat, sent them to the other side to Bethsaida. And they got in a storm and they had forgot the miracle because their hearts were hardened. One of the questions that men ask men often when they first meet is, what do you do? And a smart aleck might answer by saying, oh, I snore. (laughs) I mow the lawn once a week, then I take a shower. Then usually I watch television an hour or so. 
By then, the other party's likely to intercede asking, I mean, what do you do for a living? What do you do? That's usually a great icebreaker among men out of most of us are comfortable talking about our work. In fact, if things are going well, it gives us a chance to boast a bit, tastefully, of course. If things are going poorly, perhaps we get some sympathy. We need both sides as men. There's a far more important question, however, than what do you do? It is a question drawn from the teaching of Jesus. The question is, for what are you working? For what are you working? And there's a second question like unto it, for whom are you working? What are you working? For whom are you working? I assume you're working at something. Most of us are. Very few of us escape this thing called work. I did hear about one fellow who was an expert at what we might term work avoidance. His wife woke up one morning with a severe case of laryngitis and he clapped his hands when she wasn't looking. And for days she couldn't even whisper. But to help her communicate, her husband set up a clever arrangement. She would tap on the table when she wanted to say something. One tap meant yes. Two taps meant no. Three taps meant what would you like for supper, and so on. 93 taps, he said, meant take out the garbage. (laughs) He made her tap 93 times. Some of us may resemble that rascal. We have found our own system for getting some of us out of work. Most of us, however, have some kind of meaningful activity in our life. I read a story a few years ago of a woman who was committed to a mental institution And about three months after she was admitted, she made an unusual request. She asked for a larger room. She asked for a large canvas, and she asked for a lot of paint. And every request was fulfilled. And six months later, she invited the administrative and nursing staff into her room for the unveiling of her life's work. After everyone was seated, she dramatically pulled back the sheet that covered her masterpiece. What a shock. The canvas was all white, not one paint stroke on the wall, not one. And everyone sat there politely admiring the painting until finally the chief administrator spoke up because there was an elephant in the room. He said, what is it? Tell us about your painting. And the woman responded enthusiastically, it's the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And someone asked, where is the sea? She quickly replied, it has parted. Half of it's on this side of the canvas. And half of it's on the other side of the canvas. Well, where are the children of Israel, someone else asked. The woman said, oh, they're already gone through. (laughs) So where's the Egyptian army? said, oh, they hadn't arrived yet. (laughs) Here's the point. Some people live their lives like that, never making a mark on their canvas. It's hard to respect someone who is not even trying to make life count somehow. One of my favorite cartoons of all time was Peanuts. Charles Schultz wrote Peanuts until he retired in 1999 in January of 2000 was his last one, January 1. He said, I am, I'm retiring. I'm, I'm getting out of the business. He said, and I don't want anybody else to write Peanuts. And so, well, the Peanuts cartoon will only be reruns now. But then they asked him, why do you, why do you write, why do you write about cartoons? Why do you write about Linus and Lucy and Charlie and Snoopy, why do you write about that? He said, everyone has to write something. 
And then he said, what are you writing? What are you going to write in your life? Many of you remember a ball player whose nickname was Old Scrap Iron. How many of y'all remember him? You remember Old Scrap Iron. Are you going to date yourself now? You raise your hand. His real name was Clint Courtney. He was a journeyman, catcher for the Baltimore Orioles for many years. And Courtney was never a star. He never was an all-star. You won't find his name in any record books. But what Courtney lacked in power and speed and innate talent, he made up for with courage. He had courage. See, a runner trying to beat the throw home could bear his spikes and take him out with his spikes if he wanted back in those days. Or he could simply bowl Courtney over. It wasn't a foul in that day. The results would be the same. Old Scrap Iron held his ground. He may be cut. He might have been bruised. The foul tip might have missed his protective padding and stung his elbow, but he hung in there. He was a fighter. He was a worker, a blue-collared player, as we would say today, and he would not quit. Who doesn't admire someone like that? So I'm speaking tonight on this. I assume we're working at something. And it it need not be for profit. Many retired people are giving their time to others now. Some plant gardens. Some find ways to help around the church or in the community. Few of us who are able-bodied would be content to sit inside watching television all the time and crying at soap operas. But most of us are working at something. But the question is... For what are we working? What are we working? Some people don't even know. Money, power, recognition. Some of us would simply answer survival. We're working because we need to survive, Pastor. Herb Cain wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle some time back, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. And he knows he must run faster than the fastest line or he'll be killed. But every morning a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. So it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. And I want to preach. Some of us can identify with that. We've got bills to pay. We've got college to prepare for. We've got old age to think about retirement. Some of us are overwhelmed with the cost of just getting by in today's society. But there are other reasons for working than to, than to have nothing to do. It has nothing to do with survival. For example, there is a pride of excelling and giving our best. I want to talk to a church tonight that I think has a pride of excelling and giving our best. I think there is nothing greater than to lay down at night knowing that you have given an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. I think it's important to know that I have preached because I have prepared myself to preach the gospel and teach the gospel. When I'm not prepared and I feel like I don't do well, I don't sleep well, I don't go to bed for a long time, and I always beat Patty to bed unless I don't preach good. Unless I know that I was not ready to preach well. But when I preach well, I can go home and sleep, and I promise you I'm asleep Two minutes after my head hits the pillow. Because there's something about excelling, giving our best, that makes us understand this is why we work. We want to work because there's a pride in excelling and giving our best. Not a bad pride, a good pride that says, I did my best today. I worked hard today. I shared the gospel today. I gave of myself today. The boys and I, they love this pluckers place over here. And I go every now and then, I like it. But we went in there today, and and it was absolutely mayhem. It was bedlam in there. It was about 1140. We beat the noon rush because we want to get the first of the plucker's wings. 
We don't want to get the leftovers. And there was a young man waiting on us, and he's waited on us before. And, and when we start, started to leave, and, and all the time we were in there, the fire alarm was going off. And one of the guys said, we may get free food today, Pastor. I won't identify him, but he's sitting in the room. He's currently not on a diet. And we went through that and I said, guys, if y'all want to get up, we'll get up and go. I said, I'll, I'll leave them a tip and we'll go someplace else. It was, it, was, it was blaring on me. It was bothering me. It was just the loudest and it would go off for about two seconds, three seconds and it'd come back on and they'd cut it off and it'd be off 20 seconds and then about the time you're going to take a bite, it'd go off. They brought the fire truck. The fire truck didn't help. But we stayed the course. We stayed the course. And when we were getting ready to leave, the young man comes up with the check who gave, he gave it to me. He gave it to me, not, not anybody else gave it to me. I don't know why that happens either. And then he said, is any, any of you guys pastors? And I said, man, we all are. He said, wow, wow. He said, where do y'all work? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> And we told him where we worked. He said, I'm, I'm looking for a place of worship. He said, I've come down here from Dallas and I went to a particular kind of church. He said, what kind of river do y'all run in? What kind of, and we said, we're a spirit-filled church. We get excited. We clap our hands. We rejoice and it's fun. Our music is good. And I wish our music pastor had been there. He had an appointment with somebody else that he didn't get to go. But, so he's not the one I was talking about sitting in the room. Is and when we got to talking to him, he said, I'm on, I won't be able to be there Sunday, but I'll be there next Sunday. So we get in the car and we're all excited because we did something today. We stayed the course. We listened to fire alarms until we were about to lose our mind. We ate our wings in loudness. But we got to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. There's a pride that comes with excelling and giving your best. I want to ask you, if you've given your best tonight in worship, have you given your best tonight? Did you sing with a loud voice tonight? Did you open up your heart and sing as if nobody else was listening? Hallelujah. Did you dance like nobody was watching? Did you sing like nobody was listening? Isn't it amazing when you feel the presence of God? There is a pride about saying, I'm going to give my very best to the cause of Christ. I know Cowboys season's coming and Longhorn season's coming, so I got a couple of football stories. Coach Gene Stallin tells of an incident when he was a defensive backfield coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Two all-pro players, and I've been able to meet both of them, Charlie Waters and Cliff Harris, were sitting in front of their blockers, and after playing a tough game against the Washington Redskins, the team I hated the most. I know there's Washington Redskins fans here. I love you. I just hate I don't like the Redskins. They were still in their uniform and their heads were bowed in exhaustion. And Waters turns to Harris and he said, by the way, Cliff, what was the final score? He really didn't know. Because these two professionals, what mattered was not winning or losing as much as playing the game with everything they had. I want to talk to you. Newt Rotney was a tremendous motivator. 
At the halftime of a game one time, his Notre Dame fighting Irish were playing poorly and they walked dejectedly into the locker room and they knew Newt was going to tear him into him when he came into the locker room. And they sat and sat, but Rockney never showed up. Finally, as the team began to head toward the door at the, for the beginning of the second half, Rockney came walking in. And he looked around and started walking back out. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was looking for the Notre Dame football team. I'm sorry, this is the wrong room. He walked out, Notre Dame won the game. I want to tell you, every now and then the Lord comes and checks on us at halftime. And he's looking for somebody that enjoys working for the kingdom of God, enjoys doing the things of God. Let me tell you something. There is a beautiful, there's a beautiful pride about doing it. Pride's not a bad word when it's doing something for the Lord. There's a beautiful glory about worshiping God with all your heart. There's a beautiful glory about doing the things that you're supposed to do for the kingdom of God and doing it right. A sense of pride in what you do and how you do are powerful, powerful motivators. See, there are people in the world who work just for the pride of doing what they can do as well as they're able to do. They don't do it because of pay increases. They don't do it because money is not their motivator. They receive appreciation and recognition, but again, it's not what pushes their button. Something internal pushes them to give their best. The world would be a much poor world without such folks. And I know this church, Christian Life Church, if you're a visitor today, I'm fixing to brag on this church, so don't, don't think that I've gone crazy. Our church would be poor without people that didn't care about what God is doing. I want to thank God for every conscientious teacher that teaches next door. I want to thank God for every choir member that sings on Sunday. I want to thank God for every church officer who's made out of such stuff. I want to thank God for every usher, every greeter, every parking lot attendant, every prayer pastor. I want to thank God for every hope giver, every encourager that does their duty because there's a pride in doing excellence. The Bible said excel that you may edify the body of Christ. There's something about doing it with the right passion and the right purpose. Wow. Wow, Sunday. Big Chad. Chad, you in the building tonight, son? You in the building? Chad, are you in the building? Chad's one of our parking lot attendants, and Lord, he looks like a WWF man. <laughs> Chad, are you here? There he is right there. Thank you, Chad. I love you, son. I love you very much. Just last week, just a few days before Sunday, he was hit, was hit by a car on his motorcycle. Could have took him out. He was hurting bad. He came limping up to me on the porch and said, Pastor, I'm hurting pretty bad. I said, well, Chad, go home. He said, no, I'm not going home. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to serve this church. Something welled up inside of me. Something came up on the inside of me and I said, that's what I've been preaching for for almost 27 years, that somebody would get a pride about how great this church is, how awesome God is blessing this congregation, how good we have the blessings of God in this house. Come on now. It makes me want to preach better. It makes Randy want to sing better because somebody will stand with a hurt leg, with bruised leg and say, come on, come on in the house. Come on, come on. This is God's house. Come on. It's about doing and excelling because you care about what you're doing. I've never been more happy in all my life when I see people in this prayer room praying. When I see folks that care enough to come and pray, when I see folks who are not ashamed of saying, I need a blessing from God today, and they fill this altar on Sunday, and the prayer partners pray for them, 
When I see people who have a ministry to minister to me and they wait till church is over after third service and they come and minister to me, there is nothing in all the world. You know what it is? It's, a, it's an excelling effort. It's an excelling that we may edify. Church, I want to tell you something. This church is going to another level in Christ. It's going to another level. Hallelujah. 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 This may just be one of our campuses very, very soon. We may have another one. We're going to open the one just out of Kyle, Texas. Uh, hallelujah. September the 18th, we're going to open that one. It's an awesome thing to understand that God is blessing Christian life church. Come on. We need to excel that we may edify the body of Christ. Then there are people, other people who are motivated by simply being part of something bigger than themselves. Wow. Thus we come to the second question. For whom are you working? Not just for what are you working. But for whom are you working? One of the neatest, coolest stories I ever read. And I'm going to share it with you. I love stories. I'm a storyteller. There was an article written about a man named Elmer Booz. What a last name. Booz is a professional page turner for concert pianist. His job is to follow the score that the performer is playing and turn pages at the proper time. I didn't even know there was such animals. He's supposed to be as unobtrusive as possible, working quickly and without obscuring the performer's vision. Booze does this well enough to be referred to as the ghost. A good page turner should help make the performer successful. A page turner doesn't share the bowels, nor is he not listed in the program. He has done his job if he has enabled the performer to perform uninterrupted and if he himself has remained unnoticed. Elmer Booz is content to make his anonymous contribution to something bigger than himself. Again, that's the motivation that drives many people in our church. Think how many tasks from teaching to preparing coffee for the guest. To be ready every Sunday for new people to come into the presence of the Lord. These tasks are done by people who ask no recognition for themselves. They're not content. They are content knowing that this is God's work and they are thankful to be just a part of what God is doing. There are all kinds of motivations for working. Still, they all fall short of Jesus' standards. John 6.27 said, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for eternal life. I want to talk now. I'm going to get a little, a little stronger. There are some people who are sweating blood, working their hearts out, driving themselves to early graves, who will one day have nothing to show for their labor. They will leave this world just as empty-handed as they came in. There will not be a single mark on their canvas because everything they work for is perishable. All they, have, they have all missed the point of living. And what is the whole point? Perhaps it could be discovered by a 17-year-old boy who in 1989, a boy named Michael Chain, an American, at age 17 stunned the tennis world by winning the French Open. He didn't win much more after that, but he stood on the platform and his endorsements that year exceeded over a million dollars back in 1989. And at 17, when asked what his motivation consisted of, Chain answered he was driven by his faith in and commitment to Jesus Christ. A lot of people didn't want to interview him anymore. 
But I want to tell you something. Everything that this church does, even in all of the excellence that we try to produce, it's done for the Lord Amen. Jesus Christ. Everything, 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 everything. I'm reminded, I preached in Riverside, California several years ago. And while there, I saw a plaque on the door of Riverside Church. It was a spirit-filled church. And there wasn't a name on the plaque. It just said something like this. And I, I may have to just interpret some of it because I, didn't, I don't remember exactly how it was. But it's something like this. One day, a man with passion came to this city on purpose to help some people meet the provider. And that man has gone on, but the people and the provider still remain. I want, I want to say something to this congregation. I want to say something. Years ago, when I was just a young man bringing in a church in Dallas, Texas, that had 15 people when I went there, I brought, I brought that church in, and the church began to grow. And there was, a, there was a man in the congregation that came to me one day when we reached about 40, for crying out loud, when we reached 40. And he said, you know, I'll no longer stand behind you. I'll no longer support this church. I said, why? He said, because this church has grown so much. You're going to get so many accolades, we won't even know you because we won't be able to touch you. You're going to be so big in your own self. And I began weeping and crying. I don't know if I needed that or not. But maybe God just put that in my heart early in my life because I want God to know that when this church and if this church and it will one day have 10,000 members, one day it will have 10,000 members. It's not going to be for this man. It's not going to be for this building. It's not going to be for the family Johnson. It's going to be for one name only and the name is Jesus Christ. That's what we're working for. That's who we're working for. That's what it's all about. And maybe I'm preaching to myself tonight. Maybe I am. That man did visit this church later. When I pastored here and he walked in, he said, I owe you an apology. I said, what for? He said, I, I criticized you years ago in Dallas. And he said, I'm so sorry. He said, you wasn't in it for yourself. You was in it for something greater than yourself. Here's what I want to tell you. If anything happens in this house, if anything comes to fruition in this house, I want to be here to, uh, to enjoy it just like you do. But I want to tell you, it's all about Jesus in this house. You understand that. I'm going to walk up and down these aisles right now. And as John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. This is all about the Lord. This is all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. Somebody understand that we're growing and we're going because Jesus Christ is still Lord of the church at 4700 Westgate Boulevard and he will be Lord of this church till the day I die. Come on, we're doing it for him. We're excelling for him. We must preach for him. Hallelujah. I'm almost done, I'm almost done. I didn't mean to get so beside myself. I'll get back to Methodist now. <laughs> I'm teasing. So for what are you working?
For whom are you working? We're all working for something. For survival, for glory, for the pride of the job done well. To be part of something bigger than herself. We're all working for something. The reason we are working is really of little consequence from the eternal perspective. We may work ourselves to death and have nothing to show even if we're doing good works. And the last point I want to make is simply this. There's only one thing in this world of real consequence. Are we connected to Jesus Christ? You know, there's a lot of... uh, There's a lot of churches where the machine still rolls, but the oil has been gone a long time. You know, you can have church without having Jesus. But when you get a hold of Jesus, you can't help but have church. And one of my, one of my strongest desires in my life, one of the strongest desires in my life, I stand with Moses And sometimes I can't talk plain when I say it because Moses had a speech problem and sometimes I don't know how to say it. But the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to let you go and I'm going to let you have those wells and those vineyards and those houses, but I'm not going with you. And Moses looked up to the sky and he said, God, if you don't go with us, I don't want a house. I don't want a vineyard. I don't want a well. I'd rather have your presence with us than anything in this world. And so tonight, on this Wednesday night, on this Wednesday night, the last Wednesday of August before you take your kids back to school, I want your kids to know and I want the children next door to know and I want this word to spill over next door that we need Jesus in our kids' lives. We need Jesus in our church. We need his presence in our lives and in our hearts. It's not about obtaining, obtaining, obtaining. It's about having his presence. It's about having his presence. Hallelujah. The only way we're going to excel is to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must stay connected to the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. You know, it's an amazing thing. It's an interesting study. In Mark 6, the disciples are in a storm. They didn't consider the miracle of the loaves because their heart was hardened. In Mark 8, they forgot to take bread in the boat after the miracle of feeding the 4,000 with seven baskets remaining. And the Lord's talking to him in Mark 8. And he said, remember the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And I could preach on that, but it's another sermon. But they said, it's because we forgot bread. We don't have any bread in the boat. That's what he's doing. He's saying, they're saying, we don't have any bread. But it wasn't that. The point is, God can do so much for us. And we can forget it that quick. And we think that we're doing this ourselves, and we're really not. What are we working for? We're working to see the kingdom of God advance. With whom are we working? We're working with Jesus Christ. And I want the Lord to know. I don't want him to bless what I'm doing. I want to to see what he's doing and walk in his blessing. That's what it's all about. And then the first thing he does. Now watch this. The first thing he does when they land in Mark 8 at Bethsaida. He heals a blind man and touches him twice. You know why? I think he healed him right then because he said, I'm tired of you boys. I've tried twice. I've given you five loaves and two fish of feeding 5,000, and I've given you seven baskets full of feeding 4,000. And he said, boys, you've been, you've been dense both times. 
So I want to show you something. He walks up to a man born blind and he touches him and he said, what do you see? He said, I see men as trees walking. And the Lord said, watch this boys, watch this now, watch this. So he touched him the second time. He said, what do you see? He said, I see men clearly. What he was saying is, boys, I've touched you and touched you again. Don't ever forget that if I'm the God that can do the miraculous, I'm the God that can make you excellent in your life. Amen. If he can do the miraculous, oh, hallelujah. He can do for us what we need done in our life. No, every service is not a miraculous, but every service is the presence of the Lord is in this house and we walk with him and we talk with him and we preach about him and we share him because he is the reason we are here tonight. Randy, I'm closing. I'm closing. Charlotte Elliott was 45 years old and an invalid. She was living in Brighton, England. Her brother was a pastor. And he was arranging a bazaar to raise money to aid the building of a college where the daughters of poor clergy might be educated at a low expense. And Charlotte, being ill and unable to assist in the final reparation, lay on her bed feeling sorry for herself. She felt useless. But on the following day, when all the other members of the family were in the opening of the bazaar and feeling peace and contentment suddenly came over her, she realized that God had accepted her just as she was. She didn't have anything she couldn't do anything except be open to God's unconditional love for her. and in gratitude laying on her bed while the bazaar was going on she started writing this just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bid me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come here's what I want to tell you It doesn't matter how high you are, how low you are. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have, what kind of income you have. It doesn't matter if you live here, here, up here, down here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much education you have. You know I push education, but I tell you, get education, don't let education get you. That's what I tell you. But I'm here to declare that God loves all of us just as we are. So I'm asking you two questions. What are you working for? And with whom are you working with? It's amazing. But we've got to excel that we may edify. But at the same time, we must have his help in our lives. Because after all, he is the miracle worker. And nobody can do us like Jesus can. Nobody can do us like I want to tell you another story, but I've told you 14. I think I've told enough. One more? Let me see what time it is. No, I'm a pastor. 831, okay. Give me two minutes. Give me two minutes. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing how life can just kind of ebb and flow. It's an amazing thing how things can happen in your life. I remember when I was just preaching my first sermon, I, I told the Lord that 
if he didn't save somebody after my first sermon, I wouldn't go preach another sermon. It was way out in Leveland, Texas. I was raised in West Texas. I preached at the church that I was raised in. And while I was preaching this, saying, God, bless little old Rexy. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, bless him, God. Nobody was hearing what I had to say because I had nothing to say. It was pitiful. And when I got through, when I got through, I gave an altar appeal and everybody had been saved longer than I'd been alive. <laughs> and so nobody came to the altar. So I turned, went back, knelt down. I said, God, this is it. It's my last sermon. About that time, the back door opened and a woman and her daughter walked into the church. Came down the front, knelt, gave their heart to the Lord, was baptized that night. Come to find out they were on their way. The wife had, the mother had had a gun in her purse and was going to take her daughter's life. It's going to be murder, suicide. They're going to both go. And God saved them. And the Lord kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, I want you to see something here, son. He said, I didn't call you to save people. I called you to preach the gospel. I'll do the saving. You do the preaching. Now, you'd think I'd learned something. But in a little town called Noble, Louisiana, I was preaching a revival. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I need somebody to get saved tonight. I'd been preaching myself silly. Nobody, nobody's even making a move. It was like, it was like concrete. And so nobody came to the altar that night. So I got in my car, went down to the Sabine River. And I got in my Bible and I was going to chunk it. And say, I'm not... <laughs> I hate to tell you this kind of stuff. <laughs> I was just a young kid. I was just, just out of college, and I was as goofy as it could happen. And about the time I started to chunk that Bible, the Lord said, I believe we played this role before. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, God? He said, well, first time you ever preached. Now, he didn't talk to me like that. He just is in my head. He inclinated it. You did this same thing. You going to do this again on me? And I'll never forget, I backed away and I said, Lord, that's, I sure did, didn't I? And I backed away, went and got in the car. And the tragedy of 81, the disaster of my brother in 92, the cancer of my father in 93 and my mother-in-law in 93, the deaths of my family, I've never wanted to chunk it anymore because I understand that the miracle worker is still walking with us right now. Stand to your feet, receive the word, clap your hands real big. God's good. Come on. Clap your hands real big. The Lord's good. He's good. He's good. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. You ready to sing? Oh, there is power, power, 
wonder-working power in the blood, say it now, of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, and there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.